What's everybody drinking? I've got some homebrew ESB. Extra special bitter. Yeah. Brew in your room? Did you name that after your wife? No, that'd be extra special <laughs> tomorrow if you want to get that right. You said it was homebrew. I figured I'd ask. <laughs> the views expressed are those of Gareth that do not necessarily... Do not consist with any views that Phil has at the moment. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually going to go to the liquor cabinet and find the uh, bourbon that tastes the most like, you know, smoke and char <laughs> in celebration of Carlos Yes. <laughs> yes. Sounds like a Ferrari special right there. It's lights out on another episode of Flippin' F1. We had a horse on fire, a bull out and a bull-ish. And we saw so much more, a great bunch of midfield battles as the circus found its way all the way over the hills of Austria. That's right, the hills were alive with the sound of zoom. Yeah, so here's always with me is our regular panel. Professor, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's a lovely Monday evening after a race. It was a good race, so I'm excited to be here and to talk about it. You're weirdly chipper. All right. Oh, we're on the left side. We got Spence. What's going on, man? Good. Definitely better than the race director's got to be after that tongue lashing he took from Seb on the weekend. Wow, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Conduct unbecoming, 25,000 euro fine. <laughs> Woo! Wow, that kind of spiced up my Saturday or Sunday or whenever the heck that thing came yep. through. Wow. What an interesting weekend. Yeah, I know. I mean, the fines were all over the place, man. I was like, somebody in the race director's booth spent a little bit on the bar. <laughs> man, they were trying to pick up some kind of thing. That was good times. And Stax, how are we doing, man? Oh, not too shabby. Not too shabby. A race that did not have a boring middle bit. Excited to chat about it. Phil, tell us about Austria, the history of this track a little bit. Because, I mean, it's gorgeous. It is a fantastic looking circuit, that's for sure history i mean it's been around for quite a while i don't know the complete history but it has been on the f1 calendar more recently over the last 20 years had two different names three different names a1 ring there's the right ring and then finally the red bull ring now it's a fantastic circuit really got a lot of hills i think it's got the most height differential if i'm not mistaken in terms of uh, on a track and there's some amazing fast straights but some tight turns as is always fun with all sports but some of the turns on this one are really angled fun because, you know, you've got turn three, which is an uphill turn, and then you've got into turn four, which is a downhill sweeping right-hander. So it challenges the teams with their setup and really how they're going to make the car work. And you see how some teams can get that working and other teams miss the mark a little bit. Makes sense. Stax, tell us for our fans that may not be as tech-savvy as you, what are teams considering in the setups for this one? Well, it goes back to what Phil just mentioned in terms of how the track is constructed. It's almost a rectangle lying on its side with a little squiggly bit that looks like a urela in the middle. You've got basically four almost right angle turns, turns one, three, and 10. It's a very short circuit. What you don't really have are a lot of like big high speed turns, corners like we saw at Silverstone, like the maggots, Beckett's, the cops complex like all those corners where you carry a massive amount of speed so lower speed corners and phil mentioned the elevation changes you need a lot of mechanical grip and what you can see is and we saw this in the race max verstappen the red well the single red bull in the race kept wearing through his rear tires because you've got to get the grip down to accelerate away from the corners you don't have the aerodynamic forces pushing on your car because corners are lower speed to get you out so you need Good mechanical grip, but you need to be able to bring a little bit of speed on the straights. There's kind of two, three big straights, and you've got to be able to deal with the dips, the hills, as you might say. Well, we kind of saw that on, I think it was, was it Friday? When Hamilton goes out, loses the back, like just totally lost the rear and, and crashes out for a rare thing for him. That was in a downhill right-hand corner, and it was pretty windy out, apparently, yeah. the wind coming through the hills. So you're going downhill, yeah. you're already a little bit, let's say, off all four wheels. Your back end wants to overtake your front end already. You're going downhill. So it just, it throws up a few surprises. And the track, just to hit the history a little bit, it's been around since 69. And the current track, the Red Bull Ring, you can actually find it. It's on Wikipedia, a map of how they overlaid the current track and used bits of the old track, the Austro Ring, which kind of disappears into the forest. 
behind the first straight. It, it's very interesting, like been in history, and there's some like memorials out there to drivers who passed away, like in the kind of the battle days of the sport, in the treaties in the '60s and '70s. So quite a bit of history there. Sounds like a cool spot. Spence, talk to us about the steering hills. What are we doing? What are we eating? What are we drinking? What's happening out there? Well, I mean, it looks like an absolutely beautiful spot. Beautiful part of the world, Randy. I think it's a lot of, you know, German influence of food, a lot of schnitzel and beer and those kind of things. Usually we'd be telling you about, you know, all the reasons to go to one of these places. Unfortunately, the stories coming out of the Red Bull ring this weekend may make you not want to go here. It, it seemed like the fan behavior was kind of beyond the pale in a lot of respects. And not just talking about the stupid fucking smoke bombs that were all over the track and drivers could barely see, but like a lot of reports of very racist, sexist, homophobic slurs, and kind of aggression being directed at people and definitely didn't sound like it was the most inclusive of environments this past weekend, which is really bad for a sport, which builds itself as something that's bringing people together and racing under the banner of, you know, we race as one. Tough weekend. Yeah, there were some ugly stories coming out of this weekend. I mean, I know that they're growing the audience hard and fast, and that means a lot of different types of fans are coming in, but there's still just no room for this, man. I'm not going to rant about this one this weekend, but yeah, it was ugly. Bing! It's time for box, 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 bing, because we, so we can't get to an O at some point. It's close, but not quite. We all scored points except for you last week, Randy. Yeah. We all got bingo. I don't know what your problem is. All of us won last week except for you. You are the bing amongst our O's. That's right. I went out with a bing. Let's get into it. Box one. So the Friday quality grid, as it were. How'd you guys do? Start off with you, Spence. Okay, it looks like what I said was Verstappen, <laughs> Perez, Leclerc, Sainz, and Hamilton, and which was not bad, although I did miss a couple pretty key ones. Sergio got absolutely hosed, by the way, with the spec limit nonsense, and he ended up starting 13th because they let him go through to Q3 and then took all his times away. I got lots to say about that. And evidently, Lewis had a pretty tough quality as well. So um, not my best, however. Surely not my worst. Oh, surely. <laughs> Stacks? Oh, not my best, not my worst. I was figuring Carlos Sainz was going to bin it somewhere. He was just going to be pushing too hard off the heels of his victory. So I didn't have him in the top five. And I think I had Perez in there as well. And he got screwed over. So yeah, kind of three for five, you know, Verstappen, Leclerc, and a Mercedes. But nothing much from me. Yeah, same here. I, I mean, I did have Perez on the top of this thing, though, which clearly was not the call this week. I figured the two bulls were going to be dialed in all weekend, and they were just not there. Not at all. So, yeah, I also, like, not my worst, definitely not my best. Professor, anything? Well, I mean, I'm pretty much the same boat as all of you. I mean, I got hosed by the Perez call because other than that, I would have had everybody in that top five because he was in the top five. But that call totally screwed me over. So I had Verstappen, Leclerc, Sainz, and Russell in there, but I did not have Ocon. Uh, we would tweet out that Phil got hosed by the race directors on Box, 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 Bing, but we can't afford the 25,000 euro fine for exactly. what we might get. Yes. <laughs> even if it's suspended. Yes, not, I don't even want a suspended fine. Thank you very much. That's because you know we're going to offend again. It's just bound it's to happen. It's guaranteed. Holy jeez. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, all right. Nothing from that box. So we go to the bottom five where Spence, I don't know what happened. You yet. can't do math. That's what we first figured yeah, I'm, out. I'm not sure. I guess I can only count as high as four. <laughs> so I have my bottom four in there instead of bottom five. So not really sure what to make of that. Yeah. I, automatic I, loser. Automatic something. Anyway, I had the Magnuson Stroll Latifi. I'm thinking I probably had Vettel in there at one point and then deleted it and meant to go back and put something else in. However, my little bird brain didn't seem to get that far. So I've got four, two of whom were in the bottom five, Stroll and Latifi, which don't seem to be the kind of the layups this year. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to start calling it the good, the bad, the Latifi or the good, the bad, the Nikki. That's uh, all right. Gareth? I, I've just taken to calling them basement lat. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy, um, who actually qualified ahead of Vettel. I went three of five. I had Latifi, Joe, and Ricciardo, speaking of basement. But I did yeah. not get oh. Stroll or Vettel in the bottom. And I mean, it's Aston Martin. Those are the gimmies. Should have got him. Didn't get him. Over to you, Phil. I got four out of five. And 
I just picked the wrong Alfa Romeo. Otherwise, I would have had all five out of five because I had Battle Ricardo, Stroll, and Latifi, but I had Bottas bottom there. Yeah, I had four out of five. I thought Joe was not going to turn up, but clearly the man's outperforming himself, even though he's got pretty terrible luck, but still doing better than most of these basement feeders. Yeah, Joe was in the bottom five. Joe was in the, Joe was. Hey, just to the side here, a lot of us picked Albon. Albon not in the bottom five, Folly. It seems like those upgrades on the Williams now that they've had a race to kind of get smashed up and rebuilt are, you know, they seem to be working pretty well. Seems to me like that car has taken a bit of a jump up, at least into the midfield. Whether it's, you know, into the points, I don't know, but like it's starting to hang around, it would seem. Yeah. It, it does seem so, but again, is it only Albon can drive it? Because, I mean, it's clearly not helping your boy. Well, he doesn't have the upgrades. That's the whole problem. Nick Latifi would have been at least 14th, but for not having the upgrades. Oh, I see. It's another experimental forecast. Wow, that's an optimistic <laughs> perception of the whole situation. Thanks, Gareth. I want to say, but at least before <laughs> Alvin got the car smashed up at Silverstone, they were saying that Latifi was going to have him for France. So I don't know if like the work they had to do to try to get those back in the usable shape. Yeah, I think subsequently it's been Latifi has said, I might not get him to Hungary. Poor guy. But hey, Hungary, sight of his greatest triumph as a driver. So hopefully that will mean uh, more good things again this year. I thought that was Abu Dhabi last year. <laughs> Come on, Nikki. <laughs> Let's not pick on the poor guy. Come on. Uh, <laughs> the race we do not speak of. <laughs> like, all right. So it's sprint race weekend. So let's talk about it. How are we feeling about the sprint still? I am still out myself. I'm curious what you guys think. I think I'm, I'm still out on it. I enjoy it. I think I it's good. I want to hit that later well, on. Don't all get so shy. I was going to say, I want to hit that later on. But as far as sprints go, this wasn't awful. I think it was better than we've had. I think we had a great feature race, main race, race, race. And the sprint race, there was some lap one drama. And then there was the Hamilton versus Mick Schumacher battle. But other than that, there didn't seem to be a lot of action or even place swapping. You know, are they incentivized to race for points for the top eight and kind of piddly points, but more than last year points? I don't know. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not sure that I think this is a huge improvement over a normal race weekend. Yes, it kind of makes something meaningful be on TV on the Friday and you get your quality then. But I think on the whole, the races have not been that interesting. And you just end up with these cars that are massively out of position at the start and not racing against who they should be racing. So I don't know. I'd like to see some more, but it's not been, I think, what, we were promised. No, I mean, I think I actually do enjoy it because I enjoy seeing the cars go a little bit more against each other. You know, qualifying, they tend not to be racing against each other as much and they find the gaps and just make the time work. I enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I thought, yeah, there was a little bit of midfield drama happening. It wasn't really a lot happening at the front end. Front end teams aren't going to take the risks. We know that. But it was nice to see some of the other teams get some time. You know, feel sorry for Pierre Gasly, who seems to be affected by every sprint race to come along. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a gimmick. I, I'll say this. I don't want to see it at every single race, but every now and then to just shake things up a little bit, I think it's really good. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think there's a great opportunity still to play with format there, right? Like, I'd love to see it where, like, it's a roll of a dice or a flip of a coin to see whether or not it's a reverse grit on the sprint race, right? So, like, you qualify hard because you need to qualify hard. And in fact... If you're qualifying hard, lands you that same grid spot on Sunday, it's a roll of the dice on whether the sprint race is a reverse grid or a regular grid, right? You're forced to qualify like you're going to qualify for the race, but then we get to see something interesting on the Saturday. It would be great to see Max chasing the rest of the field or, or see some of these front cars moving from the back to try to do something interesting. I, I think there's still a lot of play with the format to be had. They're not doing it just yet, but otherwise, I thought the same thing, right? It was like, meh. All right, it's okay. Nothing special. We got extra racing, which makes me happy. But it's like extra innings in baseball, right? Like, it's like, yeah, great, awesome, more baseball. But unless something really spectacular happens, it was just more baseball for a little while. So, how do we do sprint race top five? Top five? I got three, four out of the five. Sorry, can't even read my numbers here. But I had to stop and look back, Russell and Signs, and obviously they were in the top five. 
Uh, I did not anticipate that Perez was going to make that much of a charge. Yeah, yeah, he got moving. Spence? I had the top four correct and in the right order, but I whiffed on the number five. I had uh, Alonzo and should have been Perez. Yeah, we're going to have to have a whole chat about Alonzo this cast, man. That was a whole thing. Dex? I think Spence copied my homework. We had the exact same top five in the exact same order. So correct top four. And just like you, I figured Alonzo, he was going to shake off the bad luck and he was going to get there. That Alpine looked like it was going to carry him there. And it uh, didn't happen. Didn't happen. I also figured that Sainz was going to be third behind Leclerc because Ferrari had finally figured out team orders, which uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. No, not so. Yeah, I had four or five as well. Like I put my man Hamilton into that top five. thought he was going to fight back, but man, McShoe made that Haas thick. Oh boy, <laughs> it, was, it was a good battle. He defended well. He really did. He held his own very well. And I think if Magnussen had not sort of just pulled away a little bit in that last sort of three laps, he would have held on. It was a DRS challenge. Speaking of proper team orders, that was a whiff on Haas's part not to order Kev to say, we're not swapping places, but you've got to stay within a second and Mick to give him DRS because we want to maximize our points here, which is the team's entire job. Yeah, that was a huge mistake by the team on that one. Really annoyed with that. Mad at Gunther for that. Yeah, although, I mean, Mick sounded off on it. It was good to see him get a little bit involved there. Getting feisty. Hey, yeah. I think it's, uh, as everybody's saying, it took him a season and a half in F2 and F3 to come alive. And he's a season and a half in F1 and stuff seems to be happening. Yeah, well, let's let's see what happens. I mean, I don't think he's a good midfield driver now. Like He hasn't woken up the giant yet, but it's coming. You feel something there. So. I think it's building, folks. I think it's building. All right. Fastest pit stop. It was McLaren. And I had McLaren. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's only the second time this entire season that I've managed to call a pit stop right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought RBR would have, you know, it's their track, right? I thought yeah. that they would have been dancing all over the place and completely choreographed and we would have seen the 1.9 second again. It just wasn't there. You know, I figured Ferrari would be taking advantage of all the free Red Bull that was being given away at the track and just hammer out a good one. And that didn't happen. <laughs> no, not, not so good. Not so good. All right. Anybody call who's on fire? Box eight. What do you have, Spence? Yeah, I'd ask them. Right. It was, I mean, clearly Ferrari. Like, they were quite literally on fire. And, man, like a bad fire, too. Like, oh, that was kind of scary to watch, you know? Like, explodey fire. Although, I will say this. That raised a question for me, seeing that car and him trying to hop out as the car is rolling backwards down the hill. That's probably a safety risk. They should be able to stop and get out of the car without it worried about rolling away. Because, I mean, if he'd actually gotten out of the car... Phil, your opinion is they need handbrakes and e-brakes in F1 cars. Something. Just pull over to the side. <laughs> sure, we can go back to an old classic, but they need something to make sure the car doesn't roll backwards. Well, they had something. There was a marshal out there with like a wheel chalk in one hand and a fire extinguisher in the other. A good yeah. 35 seconds to... after the flames had started to really <laughs> yeah. explode. Mm, that's a little yep. late. Desperately trying to put a chalk under that wheel as well <laughs> as like uncork his fire extinguisher. It was um, something that the FIA needs to look at yeah. about that. I'm still trying to like, I think we're missing the ball here. Like, why would you put an escape road on an angle that goes down back to the track? <laughs> Like, that's the word that doesn't make sense to me. Like, if I pull over there and stop, of course it's going to roll back. Like, how the hell is that safe? All I can say is the car is coming towards it. We're just going to see a ball of flame driving towards them. <laughs> hey, that engine exploded twice. I didn't think it was scary. That's all, right? Because <laughs> he, he tried to get out, couldn't. And it looked like the TV director kind of felt that way as well because they very quickly cut away from there when it became apparent that he couldn't get out the first time he tried. And it just seemed like the marshals, did, they took a long time. Like, if you go back and look at that footage, it's actually a photographer who happens to be at that escape road who is signaling to the marshals, like, get over there. Right? Like, it was not, like, wow. the marshals' finest moment, I don't think. But Well, at yeah. one point, like, one marshal ran out and, like, was like, oh, my God, this is a bigger fire than I thought, runs back to get his or her gloves. And I was like, oh, that's not a good look. So you mentioned the engine exploded twice. It really did. That second explosion was, like, shrapnel. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you yeah. could see it. Like the parts were coming, parts off coming that out of the thing. car. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah, you saw like the smoke rooster tail and then all of a sudden like whoosh. <laughs> like, oh boy, here we go. Which it sets up an interesting permutation. We gotta talk about this, right? Because like we know now that there's more Ferrari engine penalties coming up. 
So how does this play out the rest of this season? I would say there's probably more Honda engine penalties coming too. Everybody engine penalties. Everybody. I think this is going to be the season. More engines than we allocated. And we're at, the allocation is like three internal combustion engines and the associated turbo. And I think you get five exhausts and some electronics. I think everybody's up against it. And what do we see in the race? Valbot took new components at the start of the race race. And KMAG, another Ferrari engine, he was managing apparently during the race of an engine issue all race as well. But Carlos has used, maybe this is good for the next pod. We should actually look this stuff up, right? But Carlos has used three, I believe, already. So this goes to his fourth at Paul Ricard. Unless he takes back one of the older ones. Like McLaren are doing with, yeah. with Lando, yeah. Yeah, like what's the next Red Bull track, right, where Ferrari not going to really be competitive? Like, what is that going to be? Something with long straight? Well, we thought the next Red Bull track was going to be the Red Bull ring because Red Bull always dominates there. And holy crap, look what happened. Yeah, seriously. We'll talk about that in a second. I mean, Paul Ricard is a pretty flat track. It's pretty smooth. So that's going to be an everybody track. Lots of Chloe corners. Boring. Sorry. Yeah. Let's <laughs> we'll see what happens there. I know how much you love Paul Ricard. But so I think Hungary probably, right? One would think Hungary is kind of where you know, they'll take the penalties then. If we're looking for a Red Bull track that we know that Max is going to dominate at, can't see otherwise. So. Yeah. I mean, Hungary quite often gets us some strange winners uh, in a season, right? So I don't know. Well, that was a fun box. That was the first time that none of us had even close to a bing. Everybody just ended up with an O because nobody won anything there. Blue streak. I didn't hear anything on the radio. Did anybody hear anybody let out a real flyer? Nah. I'm going to bring this up now because we're talking about F1 TV, not playing the good stuff. Of all the track limit stuff during the main race, the only person that they played whining about track limits and what's this infringement? It's complete bullshit was Lewis. And I'm sure every single other driver subsequently said that. Everyone must have complained about it. Come on, F1 TV, try harder. So there's that sponsorship gone. <laughs> Again, talking about consistency all season, TV direction has just been bad all season long. Okay, so Sunod out, but Sunoda finished, right? He classified, did he not? I can't remember. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, he finished the race like 16th or something. Wasn't happy about it. He's in your bottom five. If you listen to his post-race radio, he definitely let out some bad words. <laughs> well, there we go. We got a blue streak, and I win. That box oh, as well. there you go. Too bad he didn't fly out at the same time, and then I would have had the bingo. Now, at least I've got a bin. There it is, yeah. <laughs> you got a bin. <laughs> Fair enough. Right on. All right. Let's get into it then. Race top five classified. Get it started, Stacks. I had the wrong window open. Well prepared. <laughs> Race top five. I mean, I've got two drivers in my top five, one who blew up, one who broke his car, making a bit of a dumbass move around the outside of a turn. You might not want to make a move around. So I got three of the top five. I got Verstappen, Leclerc in the wrong order. And George Russell, who I figured was going to be there and Hamilton was going to have issues and get behind Mick Schumacher and not get there in the end because it was Leclerc, Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell, and Esteban Ocon, our sneak attack of the weekend, quite frankly, Esteban Ocon. So I got nothing. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, like those Alpines are looking way stronger than I expected. Well, if you read the sticky note just below that box, I made a free prediction just because I felt like it. And it was that Alpine was going to drop McLaren for fourth in the constructors given the weekend. And in fact, they're dead nuts even on 81 points today. McLaren being ahead just due to a higher finish. So McLaren's getting their ass kicked by Alpine who have not been kicking McLaren's ass of late in the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't know. I think that car's dialed in. If Alonso has some luck at some point, this could get real interesting real fast. Speaking of which, cars that really, you know, they're doing well that shouldn't be. Haas. Holy crap, where did that performance come from? They finally figured out how to make everything work together. It's only taken them, what? Half a season? 12 races. But that's okay, you know, they're here now. You know what, Phil? They spent all of last year not having to bother, so it took them a while to get back <laughs> into stride. Maybe, maybe. No, I'm excited. I'm happy to see us up in the points. I'm happy to see Mick up in the points. I'm happy to see it working. It's good stuff. I don't think they're going to be able to keep up that pace, but certainly they've got a few more races where they'll be able to pick up points. Hungary probably is one of them. Again, right? they haven't done an upgraded package yet, and they're hitting it a little bit. Nope, they're apparently planning one for Hungary. 
and assuming that it's a decent upgrade. They're now seventh in the championship in the constructors ahead of Aston Martin, Williams, and I want to say even Alpha Tauri. Romeo, I think. No, Alpha Tauri. Alpha Romeo. There's too many Alphas. Alpha, Alpha Romeo, pardon me. Alpha Tauri. Is it Alpha Tauri? Okay. Yeah, they're ahead of Alpha Tauri. Yeah. Okay. They're ahead of a team called Alpha. Anyway, they've, they've jumped up to seventh and they're kind of getting back into contention where they were kind of three, four years ago. They were kind of fifth, sixth. And this goes back to like their minimally viable product. Have they now done the minimally viable product for seventh in the World Constructors Championship? I hope so. I really do. I hope so. That could make it real interesting between like Haas and Alpine all of a sudden kind of fighting fifth and sixth, potentially out there with McLaren soon enough too. They're never going to jump up that high. The points deficit is too huge, but they'll be there to both pick up a decent amount of prize money at the end of the year because prize money is paid out on where you finish, as well as not finish too high up that they would not get enough like win title and CFD no. time, which is scaled to where you finish relative to the bottom. I mean, realistically, if they keep the momentum going and they can actually capitalize on some of the good tracks that they've got potential at moving forward in the second half of the season. They're easily going to make sixth. They could easily challenge Alfa Romeo, who is struggling. This gets also really interesting, right? Because, I mean, obviously the Red Bull is super, super strong, but the Alfa Tauri, you know, languishing there in eighth. So is this the car or the driver that is killing them this year? Didn't Alfa Tauri go a little bit of a different way in how they developed and their car? It's not like they just took Adrian Newey's. Yeah, they don't have a duplicate copy. I mean, no. they've, got, they've yeah. got a very different front end compared to uh, the Red Bull. And that, I don't think, is doing them quite as much justice as everything else. I think they've just had a series of, I mean, luck is part of the sport, I hate to tell you. And they're having some crappy luck this year. You tell us that all the time. You don't hate to tell us. (laughs) I don't hate to tell you anything. I'm going to tell you to you anyway, but you know. Figures much. I mean, again, I had the regular players. I did not see signs blowing up like that. I did have Hamilton in fourth, so seeing him in third was super exciting. You know, I thought... Leclerc, however, just did a great job of those overtakes. That first one on, I think it was four, like just sending it from that far back. Like, it was either turn three or turn four, and it was just, he sent it up the inside. Oh my goodness. And, no, it was turn four. And Verstappen was, Martin Brundle said he was asleep, but it was just, yep. apparently Ferrari brought in kind of a, a new rear wing, a little bit lower drag. So they're not losing the speed on the straights to Red Bull, and they were just able to stick with them. And what do we have, three or four passes from Verstappen on Leclerc? Leclerc on Verstappen, yeah. Or sorry, Leclerc on Verstappen? Yeah. Like it was proper racing. So we're like four honest-to-goodness passes. You know we're F1 fans when we're excited about four passes. <laughs> At least that wasn't all the passes in the race. But it's proper close racing. It's what the regs promised us. It's good stuff. And Perez just did not see that coming. Oh, well. Spence, how did you do, man? Uh, I have Verstappen, Leclerc, Science, Perez, and Russell. So Perez and Science never saw the checkers. So three of five. Pretty much the story of my box box bingo this week. <laughs> it's bin. Bin. <laughs> this is a performance for the bin. <laughs> That's it for another week of box 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 bin, in which nobody, well, Phil, I guess, won a couple of boxes, but does not clear a line. No. Would have been a good solid six points for you there, Phil. But no, everybody else still has points but me. Awesome. As always, <laughs> follow us on at FlippinF1. You can find an empty box there and play along with us at home. Let's get into, because I know you're Jones and Ford, Phil. Let's get into penalty props and sewer sewer. Oh, penalty props. My God. We're back to the... The inconsistency of the F1 stewards. And race director. And race director. This was, what were there, 43 track limit violations? I mean, that's just absurd. Let's start off where they really messed up to begin with, and that's in the qualifying. They didn't process Perez's track limits fast enough. They let him go into Q3, and then after the race, they penalized him. Hey, Phil, here's a quick question. Yes. For anybody who was watching the race but doesn't watch a lot of them, what's a track limit? Well, right now, track limit is supposed to be anything beyond the white line of the circuit. So either side of the circuit is banded by a white line, and it's to be when all of your car is beyond that line. So let's clarify, right? Because, I mean, obviously, car's going to go off two wheels at least. Is it more than two wheels that's track limit? or The whole car, all four wheels. 
And you tell me that many people like took all yep. four off it at nine? Like it's just- ten, nine, ten. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. With this circuit, I get it. With these cars, it's harder for them a little bit to see, and it's also harder for them. The aerodynamics of the car are, you know, the circuit by its nature of how the corners are angled and flowing and everything like that. It's going to be a challenge, but you need to know where you're damn well placed in the car. And I mean, the stewards, if they're going to enforce it, they need to enforce it instantly. Not, I don't know, an hour later after qualifying happens and you've got a team that's made it through to Q3, which in a sense is actually penalized somebody else who didn't make it through to Q3. This is going to be my question for you, Gareth. Is this done by somebody just staring at the line looking for that or are there sensors out on the line or sensors on the car like how do they know right because that's a lot like 43 times over the course of that what one and a half hour race like how was i getting spotted good question so theoretically the fia who regulate the shit have the ability with all the sensors on the car to know where the car is that assumes that the track has put in basically like invisible dog fence around the edge of the white line the barriers of the circuit and they may have in Austria, uh, we actually saw some of it come up and cause a red flag. I think it either qualified or one of the free practices. And for this race, the FIA actually put cameras, like literally like line judge cameras in a few different quarters. I think it was nine and 10, might've been one other to look at that. But what they didn't do, and I've heard this said in another podcast, is we can all watch the onboards of the cars. And the FIA, of course, has all the onboards. Hire 20 more people to just sit there and watch somebody's bloody onboard for the entire race or session and hit a button if they go over the line. It's going to just basically say timestamp over the line, timestamp over the line to refer it up the chain. Because if you've done that, that makes sense. The Sergio Perez over the line during Q2 right at the end, that would have got called. It would have gotten deleted. And there would have had hopefully enough time to say to, I think, was it Gasly? I think it was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was Gasly to say to Alpha Tauri, put your guy out, or even pop up, hey, this is being investigated, and delay the session two minutes to make a bloody decision because you, you still said it. Gasly was disadvantaged. He may have qualified higher than 10th had he been allowed to go in Q3. And Perez was correspondingly disadvantaged by having to go and put mileage on the car, use up sets of tires, et cetera, et cetera, which you then can't use in the race. Yeah. So, Professor, tell me. Sorry, go ahead. I've got one more point, though, before you give me another question that going to set me into a different conversation point. Really been thinking about this. F1 drivers, they're going to push the limits. They're going to push the track limits. They're going to push the limits to the max. Bring back gravel traps. No, I mean, seriously, bring back gravel traps because they don't want to go in the gravel. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, why wouldn't you bring the gravel all the way to that corner so that there's just no incentive at all to go off? You know, or at least half a car width, not the full car. The problem, because they've got the curbs that are so wide, the just provides so much space for somebody to actually stray over the track limits. And I mean, some of this is also because the track is set up not only for Formula One. I mean, it has to facilitate other types of racing as well in order for it to be viable as adventure. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you've got to adapt a little bit to each of the different uh, autosports. But to be honest, I firmly think to some degree, some of this stuff, drivers are going to abuse it no matter what. So... Bring back gravel traps, make it complicated, make it, or make it grass out there, which forces them to spin. Anything that can change the traction limits. I mean, I'm not so sure traction limits alone are the way to go. Cause I mean, if you look at Paul Ricard, they've got this lovely adhesive paint that I think more wrecks the tires than does anything else. But yeah, it forces drivers not to want to go over it. Alligator pits. <laughs> you know, what would be kind of interesting is you put in like a DRS type of sensor where like, if you go over it, Right. It actually like turns down the engine by a few notches for like just a little bit, like, and then see what happens. Right. Like it's a game of hundreds of a second. So if your engine's going to get turned down, now you got to play it inside the track just a little bit differently. Right. Like it's not a bad yeah, idea. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't mind like the track. Okay. You got 43 track limit warnings or enforcements. Nothing wrong with that. Enforce it till people get it right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fine. But I think they've got to be timely and they also have to be consistent. Every, you know, they need to be because every single person. They were not consistent for everybody who went over there. They missed people. This goes back to have 20 people watching 20 onboards. And goodness knows there is a startling difference in consistency between track limits at Silverstone and track limits in Austria. We had that great race in the last however many laps it was at Silverstone where people were going off, getting pushed off, and nothing was said. Like, 
your shit's got to be consistent for the product to be easily consumed by everybody and acceptable to people who play. Jump in your Spence. Garrett's right. It has to be consistent. It has not been consistent. I will differ though in that I thought the product that we got to see on TV at Silverstone was, was better. Keeping, you know, the guys giving us notices that someone got a black and white flag every seven, eight minutes. Like it, you know, it didn't add to the jeopardy for me. Like I, that's not how I want to see someone win or lose the race or, you know, it, it affected Lando's race for sure. It affected a bunch of guys' race. I like self-suggestion. Make the track limits something meaningful where if you are in violation of them, then the jeopardy is, is yours. Someone having their massive F1 car three centimeters over the white line, I don't think that really gives them a meaningful advantage, but we're saying that it does here. And I don't know, it wasn't something that I thought was particularly additive to the experience for me as a fan. And I would prefer to see something like self-suggesting gravel traps, grass, fuck, maybe it's adhesive paint like they have with Paul Ricard, but not this one Stewart happened to be looking at an onboard from Perez when he came around turn eight. And therefore, he's got a track limit violation in his lap time deleted because he was three centimeters over. Yep. I, I like Randy's idea of, and this is just like go-karts that Randy and I have raced, say, at Randy's bachelor party and other places, where the go-karting place has the ability to basically turn down the engines on the go-karts remotely when you get too rowdy. You go over the line, and that's what's going to happen. Phil's got a great point to make, but he's muted. Yeah, I was muted. My point there was, there goes your conspiracy theorists right there saying that it's happening at the wrong times and always happens to this one driver when it's not fair and all that lovely shit. So no, I'm not convinced that's the best avenue necessarily, but I think something has to be done. You guys are right. It's the consistency of the whole thing from race to race, not just with even within the race, it's from race to race and how it's applied. And it was fierce racing at Silverstone, but yeah, it was fair, but it was very fierce. The drivers had their elbows out a ton. And I think if they'd done the exact same style of racing here, yeah, they would have had a whole lot of people with time penalties. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting though, right? You hear the drivers talk about it and all of them are saying the same thing. Like, what the hell? I didn't gain an advantage here. So why am I being pinged? You know, for them, that's the deal, right? Like, why am I being penalized for something that didn't even give me an advantage in the first place? You can see both sides of that, I guess, right? Well, if you're getting advantage, don't freaking do it. Anyways. Let's talk about the other stewarding sewers. Yeah. God, let's go to consistency and driver concerns. Seb Vettel walked out of the driver's briefing, the mandatory driver's briefing on, I think it was Friday. And correct me if I'm wrong, I understand he walked out because they spent the first 20 minutes talking about something that wasn't part of the driver's briefing. He basically said, why are you going to waste my time with this? But I also understand that and this is what George Russell, who's the director of the GPDA, and I think Seb, who's the director of the GPDA, have said, like, the drivers are not happy with the lack of consistency. Like, if you could imagine in your own professional life, if the goalposts for whatever you did professionally literally changed, like, here's the task, here's the same task next week, there's a couple of different variables, but we're going to change all the rules that apply to how you do it. That would just be massively frustrating. And Seb got a suspended 25,000 euro fine for walking out of that driver's briefing. And he later apologized, blah, blah, blah. But if you read the decision document, and this is like clearly the FIA in its current iteration, you cannot dissent. Like any sort of dissent or different opinion is obviously wrong. And they basically said he's not a role model, which could you find a better F1 driver to be a role model other than Seb Vettel, like other than Lewis Hamilton? Probably not. Drivers at this level are a role model for every driver in the world. And, you know, Vettel failed to live up to that. I think the stewards were out over their skis with that, quite frankly. Breaking news, the Flippin' F1 podcast gets fined $25,000 for saying that FIA crushes dissent. He expressed a frustration in a way that was... He didn't hit anybody. He didn't call anybody a bad name. He didn't go on social media and call anybody a bad name. He just got up and left the room, which is frankly one of the best things to do sometimes when you're frustrated. Yeah. He had many emotions and he used his own actions to take himself away from all those emotions. I think if he was a five-year-old who was upset about like playtime or lunch, who just went and took himself out of the room, put himself in the corner, he'd be like, okay, good work. So the FIA, no, God, frustrating AF. Yeah, I read the decision. I was like, 
So what was he supposed to do about it? Whine on the radio? Like, yeah. he left the room. That's what you do. No, I'm with you. It's called the doorknob moment when you do uh, mediation. Like, what is the moment or the issue where, if you're doing physical mediation, like, open the door, F it, we're out of here, fail this mediation, we're going to arbitration. Except was like, enough of this bullshit. I I like this next one from you. Let's talk about how this is working out for everybody. I'd love to hear from all three of you. Like, so we got two race directors now. Obviously, they're going to be different stewards. We can steward to local. We got two race directors, probably two different styles. How's this going for y'all? No, two race directors and a revolving cast of stewards who are, again, we have to say, unpaid except for their like expenses, one of whom is always local to the automotive sporting organization, and then others who kind of fly in and out and you see some of the same faces come up. Yeah, not great. Not great. But uh, turn it over to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Gareth on this. It's certainly not great. There's no level of consistency. Having two people try to do something, they've got slightly different approaches to it, and it's not working. And just for the listeners again, the race director is kind of, let's call it, the head referee on the ice and the stewards are the judges up in the yeah. sky. The race director kind of makes the notes and sets down the law and refers stuff to the stewards sometimes. Stewards can also make their own decisions about things. So if you've got somebody else, like different people gatekeeping the decision-making differently, like that just throws up so much more opportunity for chaos. I 100% agree. I'm bold enough to say, you know what, this was the wrong direction to go for the FIA and they should have left Michael Massey in there to fix his problem, to fix his mess. So I'm going to ask an interesting one. I mean, we had those two penalties right on lap one, I think it was, one or two. George and Checo come together, you get Gasly and his little, then George gets what, five seconds for this thing? You got and five seconds for the turn four incident with Checo. And yeah, I think like, that was, I don't know. That incident's happened before. As I was going to say, times. that's consistent for this track in previous years. Yep. That's not an anomaly. Yep. And turn four is an uphill turn. And if you stick it around the outside, even if somebody gives you racing room, very likely they're going to understeer into you just by the nature of the track. The corner is up and away. Downhill, like, but anyway. It's down and Sorry. away. It flows down and down away. Down and away. Yeah. Up and away, down and away, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Physics. Physics. You're going to understeer. It, it goes somewhere. <laughs> yeah. With physics, Phil's exactly correct. The forces go somewhere. And the physics of that corner just mean the person on the inside is always going to slide towards the outside. And if you hang it around the outside there, even if you trust that person to give you space, and even if they try to give you space, you might get dinged. And I think it was a it's a low percentage move to try to hang it around the outside there, unless you're substantially ahead. And Perez, he ought to have kept his powder dry and tried at the next corner. I mean, I think he's been in F1 for like 11, 12 years now. And they've been at the Red Bull ring, I think since 2013 or 2014, like every year, since maybe that, ought to know this that. whole time. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's just a little too fired up because it's a long race, right? You're going to get him eventually. Like, chill out. You know, you don't need to. You're going to get him eventually. But at the same time, George has to get a penalty for that because he was the driver of the car that slid up and hit the other car. Yeah. So, just kind of a crappy no win situation. Except George won because he got fourth. So, I guess he won. Less damage to his car. Yeah. 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 Can, Can we talk about the other two super fussy penalties this past weekend? Physio gate and another radio gate unauthorized entry. <laughs> radio oh, gate. Radio gate too. I forgot about the unauthorized entry. Radio gate, physio gate. Oh my goodness. Phil, did you write physio gate? Why don't you start with that? I did not write physio gate because I actually don't I even know what the hell gate. you guys are talking about. Was I watching the same race? Clearly, you're not checking out the physios. I, I must seriously. Not think, yeah. Hi, Angela. Call me. Yeah. Hey, Angela. <laughs> Please? Yeah, I know. After the race, I see this message. I think it was Matt Bishop, but it might have been somebody else. Tweets out, like, all three members of the podium have been summoned to the stewards for something or other. And it turns out, like, the physios or one of their entourages entered some area. I'm going to read it. I've got one of the decisions up. Perfect. The stewards received a report from the FIA media delegate, which was subsequently confirmed by video evidence, that the physio slash driver's assistants of the top three finishers entered Park Ferme, which is that little area where they pull up their cars at the podium, without permission and in violation of the procedure that was published prior to the race, which is published in part to prevent handing over items to the drivers prior to them being weighed. So basically, the physios, the driver's assistants, you see them, they've got like 
water and towels and gear. They gave the drivers stuff and probably thumped them on the back. Said congratulations before the drivers stood on Herbie's little scale. And everybody got it again, another suspended 10,000 euro fine. Like that seems to be the theme of the weekend. We found something super technical that you've done that we don't like, and we're going to give you a suspended fine. So if you get fined again, then you're going to have to pay this fine too. You get the reasons for that. Did you need to summon everybody to the stewards about that? Process. Yeah. That's process. That's, that's due process. You can't not do that. The process yeah. is that anything that's going to be called before they're going to call for the stewards to give answers. Just seems extra persnickety. And then there was also the formation lab team radio communication. And I think that was from the sprint race, was it? Eight teams got something or other. They summoned seven drivers. So Schumacher, Ricardo, Russell, Akon, Perez, Stroll, Vettel, all about the breach of, hey, during the formation lap, a team can't give the driver kind of meaningful information, like has happened to the houses a couple of years ago, like pull into the pits and change your tires right now because it's not going to rain. And they had to look at them all and they said, well, you communicated, but within the bounds of the permitted communication. And there is certain permitted communication and they had to like go and publish every single like radio message that everybody received, basically. Again, persnickety, I understand that, okay, here's a technical breach and that it's been dealt with. Like, it's just like the FIA trying to like flex their muscles or a new race director trying to flex their muscles and say, it's like a bad substitute teacher. We're going to force every crappy rule and bring you up to the front of the class on it. Yeah. It was one of those, like in any of the sport, like they didn't call every single little thing. And you're like, really? But they basically gave, what, $80,000 in suspended fines this weekend, like some stupid thing like that, just to say that they did something, like to basically say they took action. Well, like, just going to bring up Seb's in front of me. It's, hey, you sent a message. And well, we looked at it and I guess the message was allowed under the messages that are allowed. You know, if that's maybe what you're going to do, why not just take a look at the messages and make sure they're allowed? Because they're all very plainly allowed. It was like, oh, we're doing a second formation lap. That's basically what it was. You have to do like a summons to seven drivers and teams and then seven decisions on something like that. Or could you just kind of look at that on the back end and say, there's no there there. We don't even need to issue the summons, but we've looked at it. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere in this, there's a joke about Austrian efficiency or sticking to rules, but (laughs) we're not going to make that because maybe one of Toto's companies will still sponsor us. Let's hope. All right. Let's move over to silly season. You know, I love me some Ted's notebook and something that Ted had put on the notebook was we've talked about Oscar Piastri, Alpine junior p signed for them trying to find him a race seat for next year because alonzo is not going anywhere and the rumor was oh he'd signed for williams but when are they going to announce it and it has become potentially a fight for piastri in terms of who does worse like nick latif here danny rick like apparently the rumor is that mark weber australian guy is trying to get his driver oscar piastri australian guy into a seat currently occupied by danny rick an australian guy (laughs) <laughs> rather than the Williams seat, which, hey, if you're Oscar Pastry's manager and Alpine's top brass, you're like, yeah, let's put him in the best seat we can. You know, I would pay to see those three Australians in a Rochambeau match. That would be funny. I'll say this, unless it's a linked to an engine deal, even a future engine deal, in which case it's a Williams seat. You don't think McLaren yeah. wants a Renault engine again? No, I think they've done that path. <laughs> they kick themselves every time they change, but no, I think they're going to stick with the manufacturer's paid-for fee, the Mercedes. Fair enough. Anyway, that's the silly season rumor that I heard. So it becomes a question of, does that happen? And uh, if that happens, what would they do with the Nick Latifi seat? Big question. So just to pour a little more fuel on the fire speculations of what's going to happen to Danny Rick next year, McLaren also just announced that they were giving Colton Herta a two-day F1 test at Portimao coming up very soon. So, and Colton Herta, I think, is like sixth or eleventh or something in the IndyCar standings. Had some great results this year. A great win in the wet at the Indy Road Course, and like save of the year, quite frankly. Go watch that onboard. But Andretti seems to be imploding in their IndyCar campaign this year. They are imploding. 
But I will add that to the silly season because Danny Rick departs. You know, do they try to get Colt the Herd in? Oh, that's an interesting thought. Love to see it. Yeah, hate to see Danny go, but you know, love to see some new blood. I'm not sure he can get enough points. That's the problem. I, I don't know if he's got a super license. Yeah. But swap them around. There's a guy named Scott McLaughlin who is, I think he's won two or three races this year in IndyCar. He was a rookie last year, but he is the V8 Supercars champion over a number of years from Australia who is basically coming in and kicking ass in IndyCar. Like, put some of the best drivers in the world in some of like the best spec open wheel machinery. Go nuts. Like, it serves up oh. great racing that's on YouTube for free from IndyCar. So I suggest everybody check it out because Goodness knows whatever indie race you watch is going to be more exciting than France in two weeks' time. <laughs> All right, let's go over to that's a Netflix moment. Bill. I'll skip out of mine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no man on no man on fire episode nah, again. <laughs> I mean, they've done it once, but it was a fiery weekend. That was my only thing. All right, Spence. So notwithstanding everything I've said before about Verstappen just taking it to Leclerc so far this year, I'm not sure that that battle is over quite yet. When Leclerc starts dominating the next couple of races, people are going to look back at Austria and say, that's the turning point. That's where kind of the script got flipped for Leclerc and for Ferrari. And if that's the case, then this is going to be the turning point episode. This will be where Ferrari got its shit together finally. And then it started taking it to Red Bull. So I hope that's the case, but we will have to wait and see whether that's the storyline they have at their disposal. I agree with you. I'm going to piggyback on it to say that I think kind of like a tennis match or something, we're going to see it go back and forth all year as the teams bring upgrades or get thumped by the FIA, but flexi floors. And we've got, you know, Charles started off the year, like with just great results. What was he like 40 or something plus points up on Verstappen and Verstappen came back. Charles is coming back now. I think we're going to see Leclerc like come back and then it's going to be just an epic back and forth. We are seeing a fantastic year of back and forth racing where there's kind of phases of play where people are jumping up and coming down and getting knocked up and knocked down. It's great. And that would be the Netflix theme of the weekend. I think the other theme of the weekend is it's the weekend where people's championship hopes literally blew up or fell apart. See both Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz. I think after the kind of what happened this weekend, they're kind of kicks in the teeth for both of them. And there's that great shot that I think probably the photographer who was like, hey, Marshalls, go save the car and the guy took, which is like Carlos Sainz just sitting basically on a curb on the hill, overlooking his car on fire with his head in his hands. That's like the epitome of, well, there goes my championship hopes. Yeah, that could, that could be right. I think, if anything, this one for me is the Alpine story. I think this is where they start talking about those Alpines kind of having a year that they... You know, and this becomes a, like, Frodo just wins it out over Valtteri for 10th, and that becomes the start of, this is how Frodo and Alcon fared. And I mean, you know, knowing Netflix, they might step away from the drivers on this one and just talk about fan behavior finally, and, and how, ironically, the Netflix effect. But we'll see. I think you're optimistic that they're going to tackle something as important as that. I think they're going to try and gloss over that. I am yeah. always optimistic, sir. <laughs> That's one of your favorite traits about you. <laughs> indeed, yeah. indeed. Let's talk radio. Plan E was the funniest thing of the weekend. Spence? Oh, I was, I was dying. I was like, how many freaking plans do these guys come up with? And they can't execute on any of them most of the time. And like, they got plan E. So you guys should focus on plan A one stop and plan B two stop before you start going off and plan C, D, E. I mean, I really want to know what it was. You mean it was an explosion? Plan explosion? That's... I thought that was clear. Press self-destruct button. <laughs> I'm shocked that they go through that many permutations of possible rate strategy. Would love for someone to come after and like, you know, explain what these things are. Well, if I'm Alpine right next week, I'm trolling him like, yeah, that's right. Alonso, it's plan L. Plan L. <laughs> for lose? L plan? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's the whole thing. Yeah. 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 <sighs> yeah, I mean, the radio was poor. There wasn't a lot on it. The commentator stuff was... Good, but there wasn't anything that jumped out of it. I think the best thing was the screenshot that you guys shared of the podium. And who <laughs> from Sky F1 is being fired today is what I want to know. Because that is just brutal. I mean, you know. So fans, if you haven't seen it, while the podium was up, the Chiron that shows the names of like the podium had Sergio Perez in first, Carlos Sainz in second, and Max Verstappen in third. 
they had the right colors all the way through, but of course it was, you know, Leclerc, Verstappen, and Hamilton. So somebody at Sky is going to get fired. <laughs> I think so. I mean, attention to detail has to be something important in that job. And I think they failed miserably, but that was priceless to see. I wish I'd seen it myself. I turned off already and was off my way out of the house. So in reality, it was just the race director's decision. <laughs> That was the plan. That was the plan, guys. <laughs> the plan. That yes. was the plan. That's how the order was supposed to be determined here. No, 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 no. The on-screen graphics provider was handed a $25,000 euro suspended fine for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're never going to be allowed at a Formula yeah. 1 race. Keep this up, guys. So we get the lifetime ban for being dissent-provoking smart asses. And uh, nobody else gets one for being actual horrible people. Yeah, I mean, fraudsters, racists, they're good to go. Yeah, no, come on in, Nelson. And so I'll give a big shout out to Bernie, who uh, has been prosecuted by Her Majesty's Revenue for 400 million pounds of uh, assets that he didn't declare overseas. Is somebody, Suck I mean, Bernie. are we at all surprised by that? Is anybody surprised by that? He's 91, but he was never going to age out of being a criminal and a kleptocrat. All right, we're going to wrap this up with our last segment of the night because we got to get Phil to his beauty sleep. It's almost midnight on the East Coast. It's the last cause, Jens. It's the last cause. All right, so this section is called Wind or Wow. Impressions of the Weekend. Everybody's going to give you one driver or team observation, one racer venue impression, and one future of the sport thought. So let's start off with the professor so we can get him out of the way. Ferrari strategy? Well, they seem to have it somewhat in hand this time around, except I'd like to know what plan E through Z were as well. I'm sure they had one. Well, we know what plan well, E we knew was. what plan E was. Yeah, <laughs> but I wonder what plan F was. I thought that would be fire, but I don't know. I mean, really, actually, from a team perspective, I was excited to see us. And to see Mick Schumacher in points again this time for two races in a row. Hopefully they can keep it going. They can make it work. I was also happy with this race, with the amount of close racing that we had. I do like the circuit, despite the fact it's a fairly simple circuit. Mind you, I also like the Bahrain outer ring. I think that was a fabulous track that should come back as well occasionally. And as for the future, well, we're going to France. Well, 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 my least favorite track of all time is Paul Ricard. So if you ever see a man standing with a sign that says, bring back many cores, you know, you're seeing oh, a professor. There. I am there. <laughs> I love that track. I know. But I yeah, know. No. <laughs> <laughs> not now, not now. So that's basically my rundown of the weekend in the Windsor Wheel, guys. All right, Spence, you're up. Yeah. So building a lot of the stuff that Phil just said, my takeaway from a driver perspective is that Mick Schumacher clearly wants to stay in F1 wasn't immediately clear, like based on how things started this year. I mean, I think everyone looked at last year as a bit of a write-off for him, but he's come out swinging. He's taking it to his teammate, taking it to Lewis Hamilton. He's just going for it. And I think it's fantastic. Hope that it continues for him going into the summer break. In terms of the venue impression, it was pretty disappointing to hear the reports of pretty poor fan behavior. I hope that's not going to become the new norm there because this does look like a circuit that would be a ton of fun to go visit and to go see. That's a part of the world I haven't been to and I'd like to like to check it out at some point. Hopefully the organizers in F1 can do a better job kind of keeping a lid on that next year. In terms of my future of the sport thought, again, talked about this already. We need to get some consistency in the steward's room and in the race director's room. It can't be this variable race to race. I mean, looking at Silverstone back-to-back, against what happened to the Red Bull ring this weekend, you'd be forgiven for thinking that they're different sports. The racing was very different and people were getting in trouble for very different things. So hopefully that's some way that they can kind of bring some consistency there. And in terms of what to look for next race, um, probably the back of my eyelids because I think it's going to be a pretty boring one. Although we said that last year too, and it didn't end up being that bad. It was a good strategic battle. Like one of those races with offset strategy that like, you know, F1 fans can really sink their teeth into. I'm pretty sure we were eating pro, right? Because like you had France and then you had Spa a couple of races later and you're like, who would have thought that France would have been fairly riveting in that Spa we would have just, you know, listened to Bill and Spence 
chat for a while because nothing else was going on. Let them race. Don't care if it's raining or snowing. Yes. I've combined my team thoughts, and this is about the team principles I touched on earlier. Like your job as effectively the CEO of the racing organization is to maximize the points your team gets because that's how you get prize money and that's how you get sponsors and everything like that. If Mattia and Gunther could lead their damn teams, that would be fucking great. Can we throw Toto in there too? Like Bernardo, he was, let's call it Melba Toast, weak-willed in Silverstone, and we saw this in the sprint race. Like, tell Carlos to park his ass behind Leclerc because Leclerc is your guy who's going to win the drivers. And Mattia doesn't give a fuck which one of his drivers really finishes first or second. Just that a Ferrari driver finishes first and a Ferrari driver finishes second, such that they win the drivers and the constructors. And all they did in that sprint race was fight with each other. And goodness knows, they seem to have the pace in the race race to put the moves on Verstappen and jump them. And if you told your drivers to say, hold station and maximize your ability to move forward and get Verstappen, would you be further ahead in the championships right now? Lead your team and communicate clearly with your drivers and your everybody else in your team. This is what we're going to do to get the best result for us. If you don't like it, leave. Same with Gunther. Like, again, we talked about it. They lost points in the sprint race. And honestly, one point can mean tens of millions of dollars for them between like seventh and eighth place or whatever it is next year. Get your head in the game and maximize your points. My other comments are going to be optimistic because we talked about the shitty stewarding and the shitty fans and everything else. I think the sprint format relatively worked this weekend. Maybe it's just down to the current regs. Like people can follow. There were some battles. Keep tweaking on it. It's not a bad idea. It doesn't need to go in the bin yet. But I think we saw like the best iteration of the sprint format that we've seen thus far. So that wasn't bad. And my future of the sport thought is we have seen incredibly close racing where there are multiple fights back and forth for position that the current formula is is kicking up and that most drivers are giving each other racing room in order to do this you know some exceptions but we're seeing fantastic close racing which is what we all come here to see so more of that please and thank you from a sporting perspective that's great and for the next race we just talked about this will france be exciting And can Phil pronounce Pernod Ricard? We'll see both. You are a funny man. Exactly. Randy, over to you. Good stuff. Yeah, you know, my driver race observation, I've said it a few times this cast, like Alpine climbing, man. Those guys, you know, Alonso gets some luck. Are they climbing a mountain? Alpine climbing. That's the fun. You know, if those two guys can just put it together for a race, it'll be something special, right? I think that car is much better, you know, and I will go to my like future of the sport thought, which was don't name your team alpha or alpha, right? Clearly it's just not working for you. You are not sitting at the top of the alphabet most of the time. So just don't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Is that like triple A towing that has a zero star rating on Google? It kind of basically, right? (laughs) Like it's just like, that did not work for you. All you want to do is be first to the phone book. Yeah. In general, like, you know, we talked about going to the Red Bull ring at some point, and it's still something I'd really love to do, but I am really bothered that F1 is putting this on the promoters and putting on the venue. Like, guys, make it a priority by saying, hey, look, part of the stipulation is we will pay a little bit of money for the security, for the safety of our fans to make sure that things are there. What we need your help is, is to set the right regulations that fit the natural culture of whatever venues are in your country. But at the same time, there are certain things that just have to be met. You know, I heard one podcast talk about some safety kiosks or something like that, where like people get access the help they need quickly enough. But just generally, like how are that many flares going on? And why are there not, you know, security in the stands with sand buckets, walking around, grabbing them and sticking them in sand buckets. And kicking people out. Yeah. You set it off once and you're out. Yeah. You shouldn't be allowed like that many flares is it's not the same as protesters on the track but when you can't see the friggin' track as a driver or a fan but especially a driver like that's not good and i love your idea of security or safety kiosks if you want to make the sport open and accessible to more people and when we were in montreal i think we saw a really wonderful cross-section of let's call it north american fans from all over 
genders, ages, what have you. You got to make it a safe, welcoming space for everybody. Ted Kravitz says notebook about Silverstein. He actually said he was seeing the same thing, like wonderfully diverse. 10, 15 years ago, those of us who've been going to races that long, like Ted was like, it was really blokey. Yep. And definitely was. And I'm so glad it isn't. And that more people are interested and excited in this because the more people who are, the better the sport is just because you've got the critical mass of interest and fun. I mean, it just adds security to the rider, FIA. Like, make it part of the thing where you'll share the cost, but these standards need to be met. Well, fan experience. Yeah. They have to FIA and F1 Liberty Media rights holder. Your fan experience, whether it's electronic, it's television, it's in person, it's got to be consistent. It's got to be safe. I mean, I saw videos of somebody setting a Merc hat on fire like in the middle of a crowd. I'm like, guys, this is just not at all, no, at all acceptable. Physical assault. And sure as hell not inclusive. Yeah. And you, it's also, it, it's othering. It's t- saying to people, it's football hooliganism that it's okay if I disrespect, assault you because you're clearly cheering for somebody who's not my preferred team or driver. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah, it is. And the one last thing I'll say on that is lifetime bans. That's where F1 and the FIA can get involved. And then... Future of the sport, I always come with a fun idea. This one, and I hadn't for the last few weeks, but actually I was on the drive here and it was like, it'd be really fun is if part of the World Constructors Championship is that the lower you finish, you get a higher draw in a lottery for when you get to put on upgrades. And then like all of the upgrades are just kind of scheduled through this random draw. It'd be just kind of a funny thing instead of just like us hearing it because we read technical reports. But like it becomes part of this thing. You're like, oh yeah, so-and-so gets their upgrades this weekend and just adds some more randomness to the performance and the engineering. And anyways, it was one of those stupid ideas, but it would kind of be interesting to see, right? I mean, ultimately, yes, it's racing, but it's the world's biggest engineering competition. And seeing some of that would be kind of fun and more focus on that, right? But yeah, goofball idea. By way of next race, France has those big runoffs, right? Which totally eat up your tires. And I'm looking forward to more interesting tire strategy at Paul Ricard. I think we got a good race last year. I think if some more of that happens, a little close racing happens. And again, we'll see what they do with track limits. This could get interesting. But with that, that's the checkered flag on this episode of Flippin' F1. As always, follow us on Twitter at, at Flippin' F1. If you can, if you enjoyed this cast, please leave us a rating or even better, leave us a comments. We'd love to hear what you have to say, all seven of you. But until the next time, this is me and the panel saying goodnight. Say goodnight, Spence. Goodnight, Spence. Goodnight, folks. (laughs) Sign them off, Professor. We'll see you guys next week. And of course, I'm your host utmost, Randy, saying goodnight, be safe, and leave your flares at home. Your flares should only be on your pants. Isn't that right, Phil? I don't know what you're talking about. Don't have any flared pants. I am not that old. Flippin' F1 is a Hobby Farms production. We're also edited by Eric Wellman, who makes us sound way funnier and way smarter than we actually are. 